Well, on March 31st, 1999, going way back, a film or a movie was blowing viewers' minds all over the world. Now, if you attended any slightly modern or edgy church in the late 90s or early 2000s, pastors and preachers had a buffet of metaphors to use. So I'm going to use another one this morning. The film begins with the hero. I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis. The hero of the story begins with, or we see him having this sense that the world is not as it should be. Something seems off, and he can't seem to explain it. Um, this almost paranoia unfolds uh, over the first couple scenes of the movie, and it, it, it kind of crescendos with this, this climax scene about like 15, 20 minutes into the movie. There's an iconic disruptive scene that happens. I'll, I'll post the picture. Some of you will know. If you don't know the movie, I'll give it away in a second. But this, this, the future mentor, and you see he's actually the one wearing the glasses, Look, and the hero is the one you see the reflection of, where the, the, the mentor, the future mentor of this hero, blows up his reality and his view of the world, that things are not as they seem. If you haven't guessed it already or you don't know, the movie is The Matrix. Scott was saying to me this morning, if you go back and watch the special effects in that movie now, it looks pretty lame. But at the time, it was pretty cool. So Morpheus, the mentor, gives the hero Neo a choice. You can see by the choice of either the red pill or the blue pill. He can either continue pretending to live this life where everything seems okay and you just kind of shrug it off and just ignore it, or he could go deeper, see how things really are. And see, the mentor, he only offers truth. He doesn't, open, he doesn't offer much. He only offers truth. And we see the hero go further into the rabbit hole, as he says. He's confronted with the truth that, spoiler alert, the, the world is kind of in this dystopian, dark, dead state where it's basically run by machines. Very real life story. <laughs> what we see is this, the hero finally understanding the ache in his soul that things aren't quite right. The world is in need of saving. Up to this point, his life has kind of been this strange paranoia of things seem off, but I don't really know what to do about it. Things aren't really sunshine and rainbows. But once his eyes are open to the reality of the state of how things are, it's not pretty. Now, this would seem like a really depressing story if this was kind of the end. He just wakes up almost from this dream and realizes everything is not okay. But the beautiful thing is all of a sudden, the hero of the story, Neo, understands his purpose. Maybe he is the one that's supposed to make everything right. Maybe the ache or the burden or the things that are inside of him that don't feel quite right, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe I'm supposed to save it. But the hero of the story couldn't get there if he had kept pretending, right? He had to see the disruption that everything was not okay to realize what his role in it all was. The hero needed to see and feel and experience and mourn the fact that the world was simply just not working. It's actually extremely broken, but in order to realize that, he needed to see the brokenness. Now, this is only a film, don't panic. You're not all plugged into a bunch of machines telling you that everything's good. Don't worry. 
But like fictional stories, and if you've spent any time, I studied English literature before I went to Bible college. I still love it. But fiction, even though it's fiction, tends to point to elements of real life, doesn't it? This, this may be a fictional story, but there are elements of the story that tend to point to truth. You know, we live, we, we live, in, a, we live in a pretty beautiful part of the world. It's not perfect. Canada is not perfect. North America is not perfect. But it is pretty great. We are pretty well off, aren't we? We are blessed. We have freedom to do whatever we want for the most part. Now I know this weekend. Let's, 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 let's keep those opinions in for a moment. Just bear with me for a minute. There's nuances to that, and we could agree and disagree all day long. But for the most part, we are pretty well off. Can we all agree on that? The la- but you know what's crazy, though? The last few years, especially the last two years, have allowed us to feel that the world is kind of a broken place. Would you agree? You know, the world is not always as perfect as we may think it is. For the first time, at least in my generation, maybe, maybe a generation or two older, like we, we have never felt, my generation has really never felt any major disruptions to our life. My, my generation has not faced a world war. My generation has not faced a Great Depression. Really any disruptive moments in history. There have been little things here or there, but nothing major to actually shake up our worldview. Until COVID. COVID, even though it's, it's not on the scale of some other major events, COVID has been a major and massive disruption. The world is not a perfect place. The world is not a perfect place. Last week we began looking at the Beatitudes and we found out that the definition, do you guys remember what the definition of Beatitude is? There we go, that's right. A state of utmost bliss. In this section of the Bible, Jesus is mapping out bit by bit, verse by verse, what it looks like to live in a state of utmost bliss, which he claimed is the kingdom of heaven. That if you live the ways of Jesus, if you follow him, you are going to experience his claim, the best life you could ever live. But that's not always comfortable. In fact, most of the time, living with Jesus and following Jesus tends to flip our paradigms upside down, don't they? And let's continue on that journey today. If you have your Bible, would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Actually, before we go further, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. God, we just give you, we give you our attention this morning. We give you our attention. Holy Spirit, would you just open our eyes? Holy Spirit, would you clear our minds? Holy Spirit, would you just give us, would you give us new truths today? Would we drink deep of your peace today? Would we, would we hear the invitation from Jesus to just come and sit at his feet? Would we, would we learn something from the great teacher this morning? Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Matthew chapter five. We're gonna be really quickly just in verse four this morning. Matthew five, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Throughout these next few chapters of Matthew, it's, it's very helpful as we established last week to understand who Jesus is talking to. Verse one, as we read last week, talks about a crowd who was following Jesus. And we ask the question, who are they? Who is this crowd? Well, they are the fishermen who left everything behind to follow Jesus, but it's also a group of mixed people who Jesus had, had healed from sickness, other diseases, brokenness, and hurting the poor, we called them the forgotten abouts last week, didn't we? The forgotten abouts, the least of these. The world had not been kind to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That sounds great. That's a good verse. We've read that in different settings. Who's heard that verse before? Maybe at a funeral or something else, right? Absolutely. But let me ask the question, comforted by what? Blessed are those who mourn, but who are they comforted by? Now, this verse right here we, we just said is interesting to unpack. It can, be, it can be a comforting thing to read at a funeral or in the middle of a crisis or a loss, and it is beautiful. But Jesus is getting at something far deeper than simply just a moment. Like we said last week, Jesus tends to shift our perspectives. We, are, we have all experienced loss to some extent. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a friendship or it's a relationship. We have, we have lost family. We have lost friends to death or to disease or sickness. This is all extremely real, and that is a very sensitive place. In this verse, Jesus is talking about that, the hurt and the loss, but he's also inviting us into the thing behind the thing. He's inviting us to pull back the layers. Let me explain a little bit. We've talked, we've talked about the creation poem before. We pretty much talk about it every week. But in the beginning, God created a beautiful world. And everything was good. Everything was, everything was perfect. And, and the word that God used, or the, the author of Genesis used for good, is this Hebrew word, tov. Can you say that with me? Tov. Come on, louder. This is good. Tov. There we go. Tov, and it is basically defined as this, good, favorable, pleasing, right, and best. Some even define it as pleasant or delightful. So bottom line, God created the world and set it into motion, and everything was good. Everything was right. Or another way maybe to say it is everything worked. Creation worked as it was supposed to. But when humanity rebelled against God and his world, the very opposite began to take place, didn't it? Death entered the story of the world when humanity disrupted and rebelled against God's creation. That means in God's tove creation, death and sickness and pain, none of that is present. You know, when you're fighting and fighting against cancer inside your body, when injustice is done to you, when you find yourself exploding with anger again, when you are forgotten, when you're broken, when you're hurt again, anger, bitterness, disappointment, hatred, unforgiveness, regret, all of those things and more, they're so outside of God's ideal view of the world and his ideal of creation. So what is Jesus getting at here then? When Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn, He's saying you're blessed and you're well off when you see the world as it really is. When you allow yourself to see the world as it really is, when you see the pain, 
the injustice, death, sickness, a hurting world. And, and you don't just see it for a moment, but you see it as the result of a broken creation, a false kingdom that goes against God's world. But let's be honest for a moment. How am I blessed by experiencing a broken world? That sounds confusing. How am I blessed? How is that a good thing if I allow myself to feel the brokenness? Because it's easier to just pretend it doesn't exist, right? We can interact in church today. It's good. Right? It's easier. It's easier to pretend sometimes like it doesn't exist. Seeing brokenness and allowing it to actually move and shape us, it's uncomfortable. Especially for those of us who live in a really well-off place like the West, North America. Compared to most of the world, we are extremely well-off, even if we are at the bottom. But as followers of Jesus, apprentices to Jesus, he invites us to flip our paradigm. He invites us to see it differently. I think there are, there are two mindsets that we, we tend to live in that I think as followers of Jesus, if we really want to be followers of Jesus and allow him to reshape our mind, there are two mindsets he wants to dismantle in us. Are you ready this morning? I feel like we're sleepy today. Too much turkey already? All right, let's jump in. Let's keep going. Number one is this. First mindset I think that Jesus wants to dismantle in us is this. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. I think, honestly, this is the easiest mindset for us to live in. If we have, you know, our blinders on, if we stay in our neighborhoods, we can pretend everyone lives like us. It's easy to do that. I'm not, I, I, it, I this has been reading my mail all week. So these stats are a few years old, but, but, but receive this today. The World Health Organization, this was back in 2019, they reported that 785 million people do not have access to basic water services. 785 million people. And more than 884 million people do not have safe drinking water. 884 million people. Two billion people worldwide did not have access to basic sanitation. That's around 25% of the entire global population. In these areas of the world where they have poor sanitation, girls are, not, are far more likely to not gain just a basic education. They cannot attend school based on menstruation and having proper sanitation. So most girls grow up not knowing basic skills. Hi, Olive. <laughs> there is an estimated 446,000 children under the age of five who die annually due to issues involving diarrhea. I know that's kind of crass to talk about, but that seems like that's a pretty easy fix in our world here, isn't it? 446,000 kids under the age of five simply because they don't have clean water. This amounts to 9% of the 5.8 million deaths of children younger than five years old. In Canada, I'm getting a little closer to home. After surveying 61 communities, 19,536 people are homeless on any given night. And that's only a study done in 2018. They estimate now that that number has increased significantly, especially because of COVID. And 15% of that number are under the age of 25. Most of them are teenagers. 
Another study done in 2018. This one's a hard one. This one's a hard one. I had to like do some fact checking because it seemed too ridiculous to me. But 30%, 30% of all children living in St. John live under the poverty line. 30%. I hope that makes you feel uneasy inside. It, right? 30%. There's, it was, I don't know how recent the study was, but for, for a while, St. John actually had the highest rate of child poverty in all of Canada. Whew. That's, that's, that's our city. I know we live on Graham and Anne, I know, but that's, that's us. That's not far off in a distant country somewhere. That's our, that's our backyard. You know, when this isn't staring us in the face every single day, it's easy to not see it, isn't it? And some of it's closer than we think. It's our backyard. But Jesus invites us as his apprentices, as human beings, to ache and mourn, to experience that the world is not as God created it. We are invited to feel that ache. Jesus, get this this morning, Jesus fully engaged with a broken world with hope. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. He engaged with hope. It says this in Luke 4. I know those are heavy stats. I know those are heavy numbers. But there's good news coming, I promise. It says this in Luke 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll was given to him of the, of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And he quoted Isaiah by saying this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, he has re- and recovery for the sight of the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine being being in the room when Jesus opened up that scroll and said, everything that you just read, that good news, you just watch. Because it's going to be fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus made his point clear. This is why he came. Jesus fully engaged with a broken world by healing and freeing and restoring and delivering because that is the good news of the kingdom. A broken world begins to be made right. I remember when Jesse and I bought our first home in St. John. It was on the north end of, or in the north end of St. John. It's one of those, old, those older military homes. Do you know which ones I'm talking about on the north end? Every house looks the same for miles. Friends of ours had, had gutted it and rebuilt it. It was beautiful. But around that same time, a friend of ours just had some really heartbreaking things happen in their life, and they just, they found themselves without a home. And very quickly, Jesse and I felt somehow we were supposed to open up our home to her in some capacity. Now, our house, it was, we were lucky if there was like 800, 900 square feet, maybe. Two small bedrooms upstairs. I will be very honest with you. This was not my first choice. (laughs) I... (laughs) We both felt in our gut like we were supposed to somehow open up our home to our friend. I did not want to. I really didn't. It was not my first choice. But Jesse and I felt so strongly somehow we got to open up our home. 
So we opened up, we grabbed it, basically all of our stuff. It was just me, Jesse, and Olive, and we only had two dogs at the time, so it's okay. It's a joke because we have four now. Five. <laughs> That's a story for another time. Anyway, um, we grabbed all of our stuff and put it in one room when we all slept together, Jesse and I and, and Adeline, and we gave this other room to our friend, and I went for lots of walks. I went for lots of walks. <laughs> but you know what? That was an extremely blessed time in our life, wasn't it? Like we wouldn't have even been able to buy this house if it wasn't for somebody who had given us a gift to be able to buy the house. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy and it was just a bedroom. But it was in that moment, we really felt like we were loving the way Jesus made us to love. With what we had, a bedroom and a home. The second mindset is this, that I think Jesus wants to dismantle in us. Number two, it's hopeless and there's nothing I can do about it. Right, we read those stats that I read a few minutes ago or whatever, and it's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm just on Graham and Ann Island. I'm just one person. If I go too far over there, I'm just gonna sit in hopelessness for the rest of my life. We see and experience a broken world and we're crippled by it. That's been my experience for a long time. All of the stats I just read, it can just really cripple us. If we are followers of Jesus, apprentices to Jesus, we always ask the question, how did Jesus show us to live? Jesus saw and he mourned the brokenness of the world and he responded, get this, one person at a time. One person at a time. In Matthew 8, Jesus stops, and honestly, I'm going to read a few examples, but there are loads of stories throughout the entire gospel, or all the gospels, where Jesus is just stopping one person at a time. Luke 8, we read the story of the woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages and bleeding. And, she, and she's been doing this for, she's been suffering for over 12 years. But in that moment, in an entire crowd of people where everyone's grabbing at Jesus and wanting his attention, Jesus stops for her. And he meets her in her brokenness. And he heals her. In Matthew 8, Jesus stops and he heals a Roman soldier. Or sorry, his servant that's way off at home. If Jesus saw the one person as important, we need to see the one person as important. We are not the saviors of a broken world. Let me let you off the hook this morning. You are not here to save the entire world. You are not the savior. I am not the savior. Thank you, Jesus. But we follow and we partner with the Savior of one human life at a time. That's good news. As followers of Jesus, we don't hide away and pretend that the world is broken. As followers of Jesus, we don't sit in hopelessness because the world is broken. No, get this. As followers of Jesus, we mourn with the heart of God in the midst of brokenness. And then we get to live in the hope of Jesus. We get to live in the hope of Jesus, the kingdom of God. How? One person at a time. One person at a time. I think we need to experience the brokenness of reality to truly see how real and powerful the living hope of Jesus actually is. We sang about it this morning. Jesus Christ, you are my living hope. It's not just a metaphorical idea or an ideology or just a really nice positive thought that we hold on to and think about. No, it's a real, living, tangible hope that we get to walk in every single day. 
N.T. Wright, he said this in his book, Surprised by Hope. We could cope, the world could cope with a Jesus who ultimately remains wonderful, just an idea that his disciples had. The world cannot cope, though, with the Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. What we do in the present by painting and preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving our neighbor as ourself, this will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less messy, a little more bearable, until the day that we can leave it. All of these things are part of what we call building God's kingdom. And some of those things are pretty simple, aren't they? Sewing, cooking meals. Jesus is unpacking this for his followers, God's people, what life in the kingdom looks like. Jesus is inviting us to have our hearts broken for what breaks God's heart. God's heart breaks for this broken world. So much so that Jesus went to the cross and gave himself for our brokenness. I feel like that's really heavy this morning. I don't know if it's just me in the room or not, but I'm feeling like that's hitting us heavy today. But God cares so much for the broken world that you and I live in, so much so that Jesus went to the cross so that we could experience freedom from brokenness. This is why, you know, this is why we cook meals. You guys are great at cooking meals. For, oh my goodness. The amount of casseroles and baked goods I have had, that, guys, that's no small thing. That is cooking meals in the name of Jesus. And you know what? That has blessed my family to, I can't describe to you the moments that we have needed those and you have come by and it just seems like an insignificant meal. But you are loving us in the name of Jesus. This is why we do Christmas blessing on our island. That's why we bless families at Christmas who are struggling to get by. Why? Because we have been given a living hope. This is why we have, you know, a love Graham and Ann fund. Because people are hurting on our island and so we give in the name of Jesus. Why? To make ourselves feel better? No. We do it because we have a living hope and that living hope cannot help but get out. We live and we love through the hope of Jesus. This is why we do Christmas boxes. This is why, you know, we get together with our kids and we pack up these goofy shoe boxes that really seem in the grand scheme of things, what, what's one shoe box gonna do? But a shoe box in the name of Jesus, done in the living hope of Jesus, you have no idea what God can do with a shoe box. Not because it makes us feel better, or because it's our sense of duty, but because following Jesus means we allow our hearts to break for what God, God's heart breaks for. Jesus came knowing full well the broken state of God's world, fully immersed himself in it, and was a conduit of God's living and healing and restoring and saving love. As followers of Jesus, we are to do the exact same thing. We get to be a conduit, not just have to, we get to be a conduit of God's restoring love in the world. There's this popular verse in 1 Corinthians. We read it a lot in, at weddings, but I want to read it here. 1 Corinthians 13. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, you probably know it, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, it's, I'm nothing, it's pointless. If I give all possessions to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I might boast, but I don't have love, it's pointless. I have nothing. But with love, but with love, all of those things become beautiful in the eyes of God. This is what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like. This is what life in the church is supposed to look like. Lighthouse Church, we've been saying this over the last few months, a community of Jesus followers on Graham and Ann who desire to see his kingdom, his way more alive and more present in our moment. I don't know about you, but I read that and something just stirs in my gut. I want to be that. I want to see that happen. But to do that, we need to let ourselves mourn like Jesus and respond as he would. Not pretend a broken world doesn't exist. Not sit in a false sense of hopelessness. Jesus called us to be light. Jesus called us to be salt, to bring out the God flavors in our world, to bring out the God colors in our world. We read that last week by Eugene Peterson. But how do we do that? What, do, what are we supposed to do with that? As we cook meals together, as we give Christmas boxes together, as we, as we put together these, these, these Christmas boxes out in the foyer, the shoe boxes together as families, as we pray for each other, as we meet over coffee and meals together, as we serve each other in community, as we live real life together. So there's a real tangible kind of challenge and, and, and response this morning. We've got 75 Christmas boxes out front. We've got 75 Christmas boxes out front, and I grabbed two already, so actually 73. I grabbed two for our girls, but may this be a moment for us. We may be a small community in a very large world, but I promise if we let our hearts break for what breaks God's heart, we are gonna see mighty miracles happen when we love out of a heart that says, Jesus, I wanna see a broken world and I wanna respond, even if it looks insignificant in the world's eyes. Like, what's a shoebox? You have no idea what God can do. What did the little boy bring for his lunch? What was it? Five loaves, two fish? What did Jesus do? Come on, what did he do? He fed thousands of people because he brought what he had. And he said, here, Jesus, use this. So if you feel led this morning, no. If you, if you feel maybe something stirring in your heart this morning, there's boxes out front and there's pamphlets, but let's, let's grab a box this morning and let's love some kids across the world who don't have much. Why? Because we have something in us that must love other people. If we don't have love, it's just stuff. You know, if it's not out of love, it's just noise. If it's not out of love, it just gets in the way. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I feel like this is a heavy word today. Um, but Jesus, I just declare the, the freedom that comes with living in your hope. 
Jesus, you invite us to feel the ache of a broken world, but to not feel hopeless in it, but instead live into the very hope that you have put in us. A hope that says, I have come to bring life and life to the full. We get to see brokenness right in front of us and not be afraid of it. We get to see brokenness and enter it with hope and love and joy because Jesus, that is who you are. Lord, would you be with us this week as we go? Lord, as we celebrate in any way that we can, I know Thanksgiving looks different this year, Lord, but would we be surprised by the goodness you have waiting for us? God, would you keep breaking off the chains in us that keep us from seeing your goodness? Would you open up our eyes this week? We love you and we praise you today. Amen.